If you take your Bible and you go to the book of Genesis in the very beginning of time, you will find that humanity began in a garden. That garden's name was Eden. God made man in his own image. God took his own hands and dug into this earth and formed the body of man, formed Adam, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and he became a living soul. He took Adam and he placed him in this garden. Eden means perfect. It means pleasure. It means delightful. In other words, God took this man that he created, who he loved and cherished, and placed him in a garden, a perfect garden, a perfect place, a perfect atmosphere. And he said, I want you to understand you can have anything you want. Any tree that's in this garden, you could take of the fruit. You can have anything you want except one tree. That one tree is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. He said, you cannot have that. That's the only rule that you have. You cannot have that tree. And the day that ye shall eat of this tree, ye shall surely die. And we know, we know the story. We know that man took of the tree and from that point on, man has had to deal with death. All down through humanity, we've died. You see, he had a decision. Man had a choice. Adam could have, Adam could have obeyed God and still been alive. Still enjoyed the blessings of God. Still enjoyed the blessings of perfection in Eden. But when he was given a choice, he disobeyed. When he was given a choice, he said, not your will, but my will be done. It's not what you want, God. It's what I want. I want to do what I want to do. I want to do my will, not yours. You see, at that moment, when man took of the fruit... It plunged humanity into condemnation. It plunged humanity into sin. That man became cursed. This world became cursed. Everything that you see in it, every sickness, every disease, every difficulty, the, the, the bugs, the, the ants, the briars, the thorns, all of that is part of the curse. And as by one man's sin, death has passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. And now we find humanity because of one man's rebellion, because of one man's rejection, because of one man's sin, one man deciding to do his own thing, one man deciding to do his own will. In that first garden, there is death, there is disobedience, there is despair. Fast forward, fast forward to another garden. We find Jesus this night after the Lord's Supper. The Bible says they sang a hymn and they went into a garden. In John chapter number 18, verse 1, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Kedron, where was a garden. Matthew 26, 36 says, Jesus came into this place, this garden called Gethsemane. You see, as the disciples and the Lord came out of the eastern gate, they went down the slope and they went across the Kidron Valley. They went across the brook Kidron. Kidron means ashy. It means dark. It means mournful. 
In that day when someone died or they were grieving a situation, they would dump ashes on their head. They would be in sackcloth and ashes as a sign of grief and sorrow. So Jesus is crossing the, the, the brook of sorrow, the, the valley of grief. And he goes into Gethsemane. Gethsemane means olive press. Olive press. You see, in the, in the, on the Mount of Olives, there is this olive garden where Jesus would retire and pray many times. And Gethsemane means olive press. In other words, they would take the olives and they would put it in a big vat. And they would roll a big stone in that vat and it would press those olives. It would apply so much pressure to the olives that the oil would be pressed out of the olive. And here in this night, we're going to find Jesus is going to be under so much grief and so much sorrow. He's going to be under so much uh, pressure that according to Dr. Luke, he is in agony and his sweat becomes as great drops of blood. Doctors have diagnosed and they said when a body is under extreme stress, extreme stress that the capillaries in the pores will burst and blood will come out of the pores behind the sweat. Jesus is in a place of sorrow. But see, this is not, this is not unusual. Do you know that there's not one single verse in all of the Bible that said that Jesus laughed? But there is verse after verse after verse after verse that describes Jesus' sorrow, Jesus' grief. Jesus wept at the tomb of Lazarus. Jesus wept over Jerusalem when he, when he and listen, that's not just a little trickle tear, that when he wept over Jerusalem, it was a wail, it was a bitter cry because he knew what was going to take place. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he, meaning the Messiah, the Lord Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne, that means to lift, he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. In this night, we're going to see and understand that Jesus was truly a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. As Jesus entered the garden, he left eight of his disciples at the entrance to the garden to pray. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful even unto death. He said, tarry here and pray. He took his three closest disciples, Peter, James, and John, and went a little further into the garden. And he asked him to pray. He asked him to pray. He said, my soul is exceeding sorrowful. He said, pray with me. Watch with me. You see, Jesus was in his darkest hour, most difficult time of his ministry here on earth. And he begged him to pray. Jesus knew what was fixing to happen. Jesus had already dismissed Judas out of the upper room to go and betray him. He said, what thou doest, do quickly. Judas is on his way to get the, 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 the high priest soldiers to come and arrest the Lord. Jesus knew his disciples were going to betray him. Jesus knew one would deny him in his closest Peter. And he knew that in just a few moments that all of them would leave him alone. All of them would abandon him. 
In his greatest time of need, in his greatest need, he would be abandoned and left alone. How alone? Alone enough that he would know in just a matter of hours that he would say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He would know that in just a little while that his own father would have to turn his back on him because of sin. And he began to pray. And he began to pray. He began to beg God. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible with thee. If it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Over and over, he made this prayer. He would come back to his disciples and, and, and find Peter, James, and John asleep. And he would say, could you not tarry but one hour? Watch with me. Watch that you enter not into temptation. Then he would go back and he would say the same prayer over again. Father, Abba, I know all things. I know you can do anything you want to do. If there be any other way, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, thy will be done. What was in that cup? What was this cup that caused Jesus such anguish and such pain? It's been commented that this cup was the cup of suffering. That Jesus was afraid of the cross. That Jesus in his humanity was afraid of the suffering that he was fixing to experience and the cross he was fixing to bear. But I I beg to differ. Jesus knew from the beginning of time that that cross was his destiny. And he would go to that cross. He would tell his disciples that I go to be crucified. Even one of his disciples, Peter, said, no, no, we're not going to let that happen. Jesus went as far as to say to Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou savorest not the things of God, but of men. Jesus knew the cross. Jesus was not afraid of the cross. Jesus came for the cross. He was the Lamb of God that would take away the sins of the world. So what was it that caused Jesus so much anguish? Agony. Agony. The Son of God who had the power to calm the storm. The Son of God who who had the power to take one little lad's lunch and feed thousands. The Son of God who could walk on water. The Son of God who had the power to walk in a graveyard and call a man's name and bring him back from the dead. What was it that caused such anguish in our Lord's heart and our Lord's mind to the point that he went back over and over and said, if it be thy will, let this cup pass from me. Let me submit to you, I believe I know the answer. The Bible says in Isaiah chapter 53, in verse number five, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. Now watch, listen closely. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. Here it is, here it is. And the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. God the Father would take our sin and place it on his Son. 
God the Father would take every act of disobedience, every act of rebellion, every sin, every rape, every murder, every incestuous act, every homosexual act, everything that's an abomination in the eyes of God and would take it and put it on his dear son. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Watch this now. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Preacher, what are you trying to say? I'm trying to say that he was the spotless lamb of God. He was the perfect, holy son of God. He was infinitely holy, infinitely pure, infinitely righteous. And in our finite mind, we cannot comprehend what a horror it was to a holy God to become sin. In that moment, in that garden, He was having to submit to his father and take on sin. He who knew no sin became sin that we might be made the righteousness of God. You see, he had sin had to be paid for. Sin had to be dealt with in the holy, spotless, pure, perfect, completely righteous son of God. In that moment, looked into that cup and he saw the sin of this world. He saw the sin of mankind. He saw every Holocaust. He saw every murder. He saw every rape. He saw every theft. He saw every adulterous act. And he had to take that upon himself to pay the price for my sin and your sin. And the Hebrews said it was such a contradiction of who he was. It was such a contradiction of his holiness and his purity and his righteousness that he's asking his father, if there be any other way to deliver humanity, but not my will, thy will be done. His suffering began way before the cross. In the hour of his greatest need, he prayed. And he begged. And he was in such great agony. And the people closest to him were asleep. I know you think, well, he was God. He was, he was God, but he was all man. The Bible says that he felt what we felt. He experienced what we experienced. He suffered pain like we suffer pain. He has feelings too. Have you ever felt abandoned? He knows. Have you ever felt betrayed? He knows. Have you ever felt like the whole world was against you and you were all alone? He knows. The Bible says he was in all points tempted as we are. He is a high priest who who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying Jesus, he went through excruciating, excruciating pain that night before the cross ever took place. But I want you to notice the prayer. I want you to notice the prayer. We talked about the place. It was a place of sorrow. It was a place of difficulty, a place of grief. 
We talked about his pain, the pain from sin, receiving the sin of this world upon him and what pain it caused our perfect, holy, precious, righteous Lord. It was such a contradiction of who he was. But lastly, I want you to see his prayer. His prayer. He went to his father. Preacher, what are you saying? I'm saying that when you get in trouble, you need to run to the father. When you're in great agony, you need to run to the father. When you're being tempted, you need to run to the father. I believe with all of my heart, I believe with all of my heart that, listen, he was not in that garden alone. And I don't mean that the father was with him. I mean, Satan was there. I believe every demon that that Satan could bring into that place was, was on Christ, tempting him to take the easy way out. Tempting him to disobey the father, just like he did in the first garden. Satan came and and deceived man and man fell into sin. Man said, not your will, God, but my will. You see, that was the same thing that Satan did. Satan said, I'm going to, I'm going to raise my throne above the heavens. I will do this and I will be like the most high. I will, I will, I will. But in this garden, he was coming to God and saying, God, let this cup pass from me, but not my will. Thy will be done. In the first garden, man said, my will. But in the last garden, Christ said, and by the way, Paul calls Jesus the last Adam. The first Adam messed everything up. The last Adam straightened everything out. The first Adam said, my will be done. The second Adam said, thy will be done. The first Adam fell into condemnation. The the last Adam, he stood and brought deliverance. Not my will, but thy will be done. You see, the place of sorrow, the pain of sin, but I want you to see the prayer of submission. Submission. Jesus showed us how to live. Jesus showed us what to do when we're under great stress. Run to the Father. But this is the most important thing, and this is what I need you to leave with. He prayed a prayer of submission. Surrender. Not my will, thy will be done. It is through submission and surrender that you truly find deliverance. Satan said, my will, and he fell into condemnation. He was kicked out of heaven. He will spend eternity in the lake of fire. Adam said, my will, and he was kicked out of the garden. Plunged humanity into condemnation and sin. As by one man, sin entered into the world, death by sin, so that sin hath passed upon all men. We are all sinners. But because one man submitted God has brought deliverance. There is a way out. What is that way? You must submit. You must surrender your life. You must give your life to Christ. In Romans chapter number 10, it says, if we will believe in our heart that God hath raised him from the dead, if we will confess with our mouth, him, Lord, you have to come in your life and say, I'm no longer the boss. I'm no longer in charge. I'm no longer running this show. I surrender my life 
to Christ. I surrender my life to Christ. It's not Jesus take the wheel. Jesus take everything. You're in charge of everything. I surrender. I surrender. I submit to you as Lord. I repent of my sin and I turn and place my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, some of y'all are so busy and running around doing your own thing and the Holy Spirit's been drawing you. The Holy Spirit's been convicting you, but you're steady saying, not your will, my will, not what you want, but what I want. I want to live my life. This is the American motto. Ain't nobody going to tell me. Yeah, that thing got Satan kicked out of heaven. It got Adam kicked out of the garden and it'll get you kicked into hell. I'm here to tell you, there is deliverance and submission. The Bible says to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. Let me tell you the, let me tell you the process of humility. Philippians tells us, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of man. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And because of this, the Bible says, God hath highly exalted him and given him a name, which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every, everyone in heaven, Everyone on earth, everyone under the earth will bow his knee to Christ. Preacher, what's the point? I'm telling you, if you want to live, you better submit. If you want to be exalted, you got to humble yourself. If you want to find life, it's not found in doing your own thing. Matter of fact, let me put it this way. How's it working for you? Humanity's running to and fro, buying everything they can buy, going everywhere they can go, doing everything they can do, being with every, every person they can be with, and they're still unsatisfied. They're like King Solomon. They're trying to find fulfillment and happiness on this planet. It will not happen. I want to ask you today, I want to ask you today to submit to Christ. I want to ask you today to do what Jesus did in that garden and say, not my will, but thy will be done. I know the Lord is working on folks in this room right now. You've been running around. You may be here right now. You may be here right now at the invitation of a family member or an invitation of a friend. But your life has been chaotic. Your life has been up and down. You've been trying to figure out what is, it, what, is, what is this all about? I want fulfillment. I want happiness because I haven't found it yet. Well, today is your day. We don't believe in accidents here. We don't believe in, in coincidence. We don't believe that. It, it, listen, we believe you being here today is a divine appointment. We believe that there is a loving, holy, righteous God up in heaven who who orchestrated events to take place that you're sitting in the pew this morning and you're hearing this truth because he knows you've been searching. He goes to work with you. He goes home with you. He knows what's on your heart. Your heart's beating hard right now and he's begging you, please surrender to me. Humble yourself. Watch this. Humble yourself 
under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt. Come on, everybody. That he may Are you tired of the life you've been living? Well, in order to go up, you got to first go down. Will you submit today?